Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, we all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Ground Buster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at greenballtires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiries. Jacob Stevens, how are you, man? I've been good, man. How are you? I'm doing great, brother. It's good to have you back. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. I've seen the last at, at Prim. Uh, the weekend was was pretty crazy with the Huevos Challenge and all that stuff going on, but uh, it's good to see you. Yeah, I missed you out there. Uh, I was counting on watching you go through the obstacles, you know, and, and, and unfortunately at the end of the uh, the race, you know, I had some, uh, I made a mistake uh, with some paperwork and, and was not able to stay Yeah. Um, for the end, but you know, it's my fault, my mistake. I was a bummer because there were so many people I wanted to talk to, but you know, live yeah. and learn. Yeah. You know, I, I will not be making that mistake ever again. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So, um, you know, the big question is, and, and I've heard it through, through the grapevine, I've heard it from other people and I have it myself because you and I haven't gotten to speak much. I've, I've spoken to your father, which him and I are friends and, and we just have normal conversations, <clears throat> you know, if talking about ATVs all the time is normal, but um, <laughs> you got injured. I really don't know a lot about it and I'd like to know more. Yeah. So I, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't know how it started. I don't really recall how I got the injury. Um, all I remember was, um, you know, my shoulder started, you know, bugging me pain wise. And then, you know, it just started, you know, dislocating like with very minimal movements. I mean, I would, you know, be working and, you know, hanging sheetrock or, you know, wiping grout off the floor or tiling or anything like that. And I just, you know, reached the wrong way and it would just dislocate. So, you know, as we, you know, we're getting through the season, you know, the first couple of rounds, it, it didn't dislocate, didn't bother me. I didn't have any pain. And then all of a sudden, every single time I would ride, I, I don't know if it was the jerking motion or, you know, the rough tracks or, you know, anything like that. But, you know, my shoulder just started popping out of its socket, you know, regularly. And, and I don't think they were full dislocations. I think they were partials because I was able to just kind of rotate my shoulder or, you know, grab my handlebar and push my shoulder forward and, you know, it would pop back in, but, you know, after it would dislocate during a race, it would just kind of like the pain was just too severe to, you know, push the envelope. So, you know, last season I, I struggled a lot with, you know, getting through the motos and, you know, making it a hundred percent all the way through without, you know, having any pain or, or anything like that. So I found out, um, I got an MRI after the last round, which I don't know if it was a smart move to finish the year. I feel like it was just cause you know, resumes and, and all that stuff. I felt like it was just smart to, 
to get through the year, <clears throat> figure out what was wrong with it, go from there. So I got an MRI. I figured out I have a partial tear in my labrum. And from all the dislocations, um, I have a lot of cartilage damage. And from, you know, bone on bone impact from it dislocating, I have some stress fractures in uh, both my shoulder, the knuckle of your shoulder and your scapula where they, they connect. So, um, yeah, no surgery required, just kind of going through physical therapy. I've been doing physical therapy since the last race. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully we'll be back on the bike here soon. Is it normal for that kind of injury to not have surgery? Um, the doctor told me pretty much that surgery is their last case scenario. Um, you know, I guess, you know, ligament repairs on shoulders is very hit or miss in surgery. They're, they're not always guaranteed to work. So they thought with how minimal the, the tear was that, you know, if I could strengthen it back up, that it would heal on itself. I think the biggest problem with it never healing was that I was constantly dislocating it. So I never actually had a good amount of time to let it heal and, and, and strengthen it. Um, so they're, they're pretty confident, um, that it'll, it'll be good to go here. Actually, I think I want to say within the next like six to eight weeks, it should be, should be back to normal. When are they going to clear you to ride? <clears throat> so I'm cleared to pretty much, they, they didn't really tell me I had to stop. They just kind of advised it. Um, they cleared me to ride, you know, recreationally, but I mean, you know, better than anybody that's not going to happen. I can't really just get on a quad and ride recreationally. That's not really a thing. So um, I'm cleared, but I, I don't know when they're going to give me the go ahead to race. Um, they pretty much guaranteed me by summertime. I'll be back on the quad after the break guaranteed. Um, my physical therapist said he had some hopes that I'd be back for maybe the last <clears throat> round or two before the break. Um, but at that point, I don't, I don't know if, if I'll just, you know, wait until after the break, get summer training in, race the last few rounds, you know, get prepared for 2024 and then, you know, going into next year, a hundred percent ready to go and ready to fight for a championship. Well, there's other guys that have had shoulder injuries and it's taken them almost a year to come back from it. <clears throat> you know, Logan Huff looks like he is, um, more than a hundred percent, his speed is up His it seems like he's coming back and, and, and he's firing on all cylinders. So, yeah, uh, that's what they're hoping for you. It, what's the physical therapy like, and what's your training like to help strengthen everything? So basically at the moment, the physical therapy is, it's a lot of like stabilization exercises, um, really focusing on the smaller muscles around your delt and your rotor rotator cuff and you know all that stuff so i do a lot of band stuff and you know single arm stuff at physical therapy and then um what he my physical therapist has me doing training wise is i just been doing a lot of like you know i guess muscle endurance training strength wise so you know lightweight high reps trying to, you know, grow the muscle, but not to a point where it's going to hinder myself in the future. So I've just been trying to, you know, stay consistent in the gym, stay consistent, lifting strength training. And then, um, come summertime, 
Um, not going to necessarily stop strength training like I normally would to get ready for the season. Um, but I'm just going to kind of mix in a lot more cardio and then, you know, a few days a week of just, just strength, strength training. So I can keep, you know, the muscles strong and, you know, solid throughout, throughout the year. So, you know, I ask a lot of questions of a lot of the people that I, that I talk to about training and, and there's a lot of different theories and schools of thought. Um, strength training is something that I've been told. And, you know, there again, I'm, you know, I, when I raced professionally, I was 240 pounds. Yeah. I was a fat ass because I didn't train. I didn't eat right. You know, right. but I was, I was riding a big old 660 monster in the desert and it pulled me around just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, that's not how you do it. Kids train get yourself in shape and do it right. Um, right. I still have to apologize to my sponsors. Um, but I was, uh, I am under the impression that you can strength train while you're racing because it's developing muscles and, and strength that you need for your core and things like that. So you're, you know, not, you're not going to go train heavy the week of the race. Right. But you're, you're still going to maintain a schedule through the whole year that keeps your body strong because it's easy to lose some of that right. when you, when you race, it's, I don't mean to, to ramble on, but you see some football players nowadays keep lifting even through the year because they lose too much by the end of the season. Right. And that's, that's pretty much my main goal my training program before, I mean, back East, I would, you know, strength train for, you know, the season would end in August. I would, you know, strength train from the end of August all the way until January. And then, you know, the training would transition back into the, you know, sprint cardio training, which was just like real high intense, high heart rate, you know, sprint style training. And that seemed to always work good for me in motocross. Um, when I transitioned into the desert racing and, you know, the longer races and all the endurance stuff, I think my main goal at the time, because I didn't ever really have time to get ready. I mean, I ended nationals and, you know, the season ended in September, the year I moved out here, I moved out here and went to the, you know, Glen Helen race. And, you know, then after that, you got a month after the season ends or a month and a half to get ready for round one. So I felt like I was behind you know, all the, all these guys that are already out here been doing it for a long time. So my goal was to just kind of grind as much longevity cardio that I could to get to catch up, which I wouldn't say it was a bad thing. I wouldn't say it was a good thing. Um, I think I could have mixed in a little bit more different things into my training, but I was just kind of, you know, hard headed at the time and, and thought that the only way I was going to be able to compete was to just, you know, sit on a cycle bike for two hours or, you know, stairmaster for an hour and a half row for, you know, an hour treadmill for a run for, you know, an hour, you know, that was just all I was doing was just really long cardio sessions. And I think it got me in pretty good shape, but you know, I, I lost out on a lot of the uh, muscles and I was struggling with arm pump and, you know, stuff like that. So I'm, I'm going to kind of revamp my, my program come this summer, be able to ride a lot more, be able to kind of change everything up of how I train in the gym. And, and I think it'll, I think it'll benefit a lot. 
Yeah, I think changing it up would help you a lot. Um, how is your strength in your shoulder now? And can you strength train? Like, um, are, are you be able to, to do deadlifts and some, some of the heavier exercises? Right. So, yeah, I, I, I try to stay away from, um, like bench press and stuff like that. It, it puts my shoulder in a real vulnerable position that it doesn't like, like pretty much the only position that it would dislocate in. Um, so I stay away from heavy bench press. I, you know, I, when I bench, I kind of stay with, you know, lighter dumbbell bench. Cause I feel like I can, you know, control that a little bit more. I don't have to put my shoulder in a, in an awkward position. Um, but as far as strengthening goes, you know, I haven't been doing a lot of deadlifts and, and heavy, heavy lifting. I've been kind of staying towards like the cable movements and, you know, dumbbells, um, the machines, you know, almost like assisted, not necessarily assisted, but like direct paths rather than free weights. You know, the only free mm -hmm. weights that I've been doing is, is dumbbell stuff. So, um, I think as my shoulder gets a little bit stronger, I can transition into those heavier movements that, you know, I think they have their benefits as well. But as of right now, um, my shoulder feels, I wouldn't say a hundred percent, but it definitely feels a lot better than it did in November. Um, I don't, you know, feel like it bothers me as much. And, you know, it's weird because I don't really have like stagnant pain in it. Um, so I can't really tell like if it's getting better or if it's not, you know, I, I can't really tell because I don't actually have stagnant pain in it. The pain would only come with those vulnerable positions, but as I'm, you know, working and, you know, spending my times in the gym, I can feel that my shoulder's getting stronger. I can kind of raise, you know, weights. I've been getting a little, you know, going up a little bit every week. And, you know, so I think it's, I think it's working out. And has your uh, physical therapist got you into like a stretching regimen as well? Um, so I see him every week, um, once a week. And he, he has me doing like stretches with bands, kind of like pulling my shoulder back, pulling it up and stuff like that. So I do that every time I'm in the gym, at least once a day. And then when I'm there, he does, you know, cupping therapy on me. He does acupuncture. Um, he gives me full, you know, shoulder muscular massages. And, and so his recovery that when I see him once a week, it kind of recovers my shoulder for the whole week. And then, you know, I can get right back into it a day or two later. Well, when I went to uh, France to race in the Pendezvous, two weeks after I dislocated and broke my shoulder, which I didn't know was broke, the the doctor over there did the cupping and rocks and massage. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they just did so much. And um, it was unbelievable the tape, you know, taping it when I was riding. And, and I mean, at that point, I was not having the dislocation problems, the, the chronic like IA do now, mm -hmm. but I was also much thicker. Uh, my training regiment was was more um, uh, a body regiment of, of strength, right. and and there was endurance in there, but but we were focused a lot on strength. And um, uh, my trainer was one of the racers uh, that that raced in the pro class, and and um, we were in pretty damn good shape. But and I think that's why my arm didn't bother me as bad because I was there was so much muscle around it, right. it helping keep it in, in, in place to a point. And as I've gotten smaller and older, it's yeah, not, yeah. not fun. 
but yeah. And that was my biggest thing too, is I didn't want to, you know, 10 years from now, I didn't want my shoulder to bother me. I didn't want it to hinder my career and you know, how I make my money and all this stuff. So I figured it was just, you know, the smart thing to do to, to take a step back and let it get back to a hundred percent. Too late, brother. <laughs> it is too late. My body hurts yeah. already. <laughs> hey, my whole body you, aches. You know, you know what I tell people, you know, my, my wife and daughter beat up on me a little bit because I don't go get the replacement surgery that would cure the pain. Right. Well, mm -hmm. they, so they say, well, you know what, if you're not living with a little bit of pain, how do you know if you're alive? That's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean if it didn't hurt, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. If you ain't hurting, you got nothing to complain about. <laughs> well, I don't even want to complain about it. I just like, Hey, it's just, <laughs> I, I actually think that it's a motivator for me. You know, you hurt yeah. a little bit. Hey, you're hurting because you're lagging behind. Step right. it up. Right. You know? Yeah. So it sounds like your training's going really well. H have you thought about doing any like uh, mountain bike downhill stuff where you're putting pressure on your arms and, and in more of an aggressive riding position that would work the small muscles to help strengthen your shoulder? Um, as of right now, the physical therapist kind of told me to stay away from anything that requires me to use my arms. Um, I think he wants to work our way into something like that eventually here soon. Um, but as of right now, I'm, I'm kind of trying to stay away from anything that would, you know, potentially dislocate it. You know, I don't want to take the risk of dislocating it again after all of this training and work. And then, you know, his mindset is if I dislocate it again, I kind of just go back to the beginning and. You know, I've been just trying to take it easy. I don't want to, I'd rather it take longer and me be 150% than me only be 92% and then go dislocate it. And then I lose all my progress. So I'm just trying to take it slow. You know, I'm listening to my physical trainer and, you know, whenever he gives me the kind of the go ahead, to, you know, go test it out, see how it feels. You know, I'm going to just kind of, I feel like the biggest test is just going to be getting on a quad and seeing how it feels. So I'm probably take it easy. First couple of times I ride, see, see how it feels and, and stuff like that. You hear this kids listen to the people that are professionals that know so that you lengthen your career and take care of your body and make sure that when you're 50 years old, you're not broken like I am. Okay. Yeah. Listen to the doctor, listen to the professionals. They, they will, they will uh, take care of you and make sure that uh, you do this correctly. Absolutely. That's awesome that you're, uh, that you're, uh, that you're getting better. Um, it, it, it's given you some time to reflect, I'm assuming. And you know, most people don't want to bring this up. Most people don't even want to talk about it. How is the, the mental side of the injury and how is it affecting you in your motivation to, to stay in shape and to, to keep working? Yeah, no, I, at first, you know, during the season last year, my, my mentality was, was terrible. It almost just felt like, what's the point, you know, like, why, why do I show up? Why do I try? You know, it, it was very, very defeating to go to every race and, you know, just kind of show up with a, with a defeated mentality. I, I just felt like I was at a disadvantage and, you know, I struggled a lot with believing in myself and motivation wise. I, I just didn't feel motivated to, to work or, you know, do anything like that. And, you know, since the break, 
I've had a lot of time to, you know, think about the future and think about what I want to do and, you know, think about a lot of different things. And, you know, I think that I'm taking the positives of the break. I think that it's healthy to, to take a step away, you know, overlook everything, come back with a stronger mindset, a hundred percent mindset. Um, I think being off a quad for as long as I have been, gives me a little bit more, more motivation to get back on one, you know, gives me a little bit more excitement to start riding again, which I think I was lacking a little bit towards the end of last year. I, I didn't really feel excited to ride. I was, you know, timid. I was scared to pop it out. And, you know, I, I just, I didn't like the mentality I was in. So I think since the break, it's, it's given me a good positive outlook on things. And, and I think it's just going to benefit me in the long run. Have you spent time with um, anybody talking, you know, your dad, a friend, somebody that that's helping with your mental, your mental gains, you know, to, to stay focused. Yeah. Um, my, my mom and dad are huge on, you know, trying to keep me positive. You know, my dad's always, you know, doing research or figuring out this or that, trying to, to see what we can do to, to speed the process up or, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, vitamins and, and stuff like that. I should be taking daily to, you know, regrow ligaments and, you know, stuff like that. So the fact that he's putting in, you know, the amount of, um, research and work that I've been, you know, trying to do it, it helps me, you know, mentally, you know, that there's people, a part of this program that, you know, want to win as bad as I do. And, um, another person off the top of my head is, you know, Paul Turner, um, good friend of yours, great friend of mine. You know, he, he's been doing a lot of work for me in the last couple of years and, I'm beyond thankful for his friendship and, and for what he does for my program. And, you know, we talk almost daily and, you know, every time I talk to him, he's like, just, you know, keep, you know, put your head down, keep doing what you have to do. And, you know, things are going to work out, you know, you'll be better and back to normal soon and you know, we can go win a championship. So I think having, you know, a good support group, family, friends that are, you know, behind me still, supporting me, all the sponsors that didn't, you know, walk away from me after the injury, you know, everybody that stuck behind my back, it, it kind of lights a fire under my ass to get out there and, and do good. So who are you? Jacob oh. Stevens. <laughs> uh, no, uh, you let me, you, you open that one right up for me, you know? Yeah. So I'm glad that you've had communication with all the sponsors and that, that you have a good support system. Paul is a great guy. Yeah. Um, and it, it, he's a special breed and I think it takes special people to understand him. Uh, not everybody can handle Paul. He's, no. um, very enthusiastic. Very. And I, we could just call that lightly, you know, yeah. maybe, mm -hmm. maybe he's on the extreme side, but he, he's a great <laughs> dude. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's got a great heart and I'm, I'm grateful to have him a part of my program and, you know, at the end of the day, he's, he's one of my best friends. And, you know, it's weird to say that, you know, dad and, you know, he's got some kids of his own and I'm you know, only 25. I, you know, I can call him family, you know, so I'm happy to have somebody like him that, you know, wants to win as bad as I do. Knowing Paul, the way I do, you call him up, you need, it's done. Yeah. Every time, no matter the time or day, or if he's got, you know, softball practice with his kids or anything like that, something he's going to figure something out to make it happen. I mean, I can't, I couldn't tell you that I'm sure, you know, you know, better than a lot of people that are listening right now, but you know, there was a lot of races last year that, you know, he does all my, you know, he builds all my motors and, 
you know, we ship heads out to Duncan and, and, uh, you know, we're getting the heads back and the parts are coming in last minute we're overnight motors. And, you know, the Wednesday before we're leaving for the race, I'm putting a motor in the bike. There's been a lot of, a lot of stressful weeks that, you know, he's stayed up till two, three o'clock in the morning, putting a motor together for me, or, you know, build me a harness or order me parts or picking parts up for me, shipping parts out. I mean, he does so much on his end that, you know, you call him and he drops whatever he's doing and does it for you. Exactly. And that, that's where the friendship thing comes in and, and just the, uh, his heart is in it as much as yours. And, you know, I, I'm assuming when you're training, you're thinking of that. Yeah. Every day, every day, you know, you got to think about the amount of work people are putting in for you and, you know, I'm the one riding. So all this support and all the work that everybody's doing behind closed doors, I'm the only one that can, you know, showcase all that stuff. So, you know, it definitely, definitely, uh, keeps me motivated to, to keep going. That's awesome. I like to hear that. <clears throat> Um, I also, I, I, I didn't get a real in-depth conversation with your dad about this. You guys changed your setup going to the races and have more of a vending, uh, deal. Uh, well, your dad, that's going to be your dad's thing when you're racing. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're doing the event shirts for, for all the works races, dirt bike squads and side-by-sides. Um, you know, that was a big deal. You know, Randy had talked to my dad about needing another food vendor. My dad kind of, you know, stepped up and said, you know, he's a, you know, he can cook, he's got the equipment, you know, we'll, we'll sell the shirts, you know, in the free time that we're, you know, don't have any people coming up to buy shirts, we'll be cooking and, you know, stuff like that. So we, <laughs> we kind of bit off a lot and, and Prim was a, a big learning curve for, you know, I was there working, helping them out. And, uh, you know, it was, a uh, it was a big learning curve, but it, I think it worked out good. I think we had a really good weekend, um, made a good amount of money and, you know, everybody, everybody seemed to be happy with, you know, the shirts, the food we make and all the works apparel we're selling it at the track. So, you know, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's cool to, to have something else to go there for, you know, be there at the races, see everybody that, you know, you want to see. And, you know, even though I can't ride, you know, everybody at the track supportive, you know, everybody came up to ask me how I was doing, and, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a really cool weekend. Do you think that helped being there, um, and being so busy to, to it was the distraction that made it okay for you? Yeah, I think I, I, it didn't really sink in, uh, you know, the whole riding aspect until Saturday pro practice. I went up to the gate actually with, uh, Cody Stanford, um, I was standing up there talking to him. He's, you know, rookie and he was a little nervous. So I was, I was trying to you know, calm him down, give him some pointers, you know, help him out. And, you know, after they all took off for practice, you know, me sitting there watching them all, it kind of, it sucked, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, an ideal situation, but, you know, working, we, we started working at 6am every day and, you know, we were working until, you know, 6pm. So, you know, it kept me busy. You know, I didn't get to watch a lot of racing. Um, you know, it was cool though. I, I had a good time. And I think at the end of the day, seeing those guys line up and, you know, gate drop and watching the race and, and stuff like that on Sunday, it just, I think it made me just want to get out there even more. A little bit of more, a little bit of motivation. Yeah. Huh? A little bit of motivation, you know, that's, that's pretty awesome. So there's been a big rule change in the pro class. Yep. 
um, everybody has an opinion on it. You know, um, I'd like to hear yours, um, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, the hybrid rule change, you know, they're allowing hybrids in the pro class at works and, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings about it. I, I think when we're talking, you know, motocross and, you know, the, the knowledge that I have from the hybrids back East, you know, they're expensive and, you know, they're hard to maintain. They're not, they're, the benefit of them is they're easier to maintain than a production bike. The motors are a little bit more solid. They're a little bit more bulletproof. Um, you could pack a ton of horsepower in them and, and still get a good amount of hours out of them. I was a little worried at first when they dropped the rule, I was a little worried for the people that, you know, could go out and get one, could put one in, you know, dumping a bunch of money in a motor, having a rocket ship. But then again, you know, we're out there for 90 minutes. You can't, you can't have a rocket ship and hold on to it for 90 minutes. I mean, that's, that's a challenge even for, you know, a rider like Bo or, or Travis or any of those guys, you know, you got to have a, a happy medium of, of power and, and, you know, endurance. So, you know, I don't think it's going to be a, a make or break for this class. You know, Bo, obviously he did what Bo does, you know, he went out and he won, but I, you know, regardless hybrid or, or production bike, I think he would have went out and, and done the same thing. Um, Roberto Villalobos has one too. And, you know, he looked fast in practice and, you know, he took off, he did a couple of practice starts and the bike rips, but, you know, I talked to him and, and he was saying that, you know, it's a lot to hold on to. It's very sharp and, and, you know, wants to rip out of your hands. So I don't know, maybe there's some, some tuning and some work that they could do to him to make him a little better for the desert side. But, you know, I was a little, I was a little unhappy about it at first, but, you know, sitting back thinking about, you know, everything and, you know, what we do at, at works and stuff like that. I, I don't think it's going to be, a big advantage. I don't think everybody's going to need one. I think, you know, we'll be able to compete on production bikes versus them. That's a pretty good take on it. Um, the exactly what Roberto said is the big reason that I'm worried about it because it doesn't work the same as a production Honda. Right. So we're talking on the two machines that were, were hybrids were Hondas CRF motors in Honda 450 chassis. Um, I know Doug Roll is doing his best to fine tune the suspension for both of those guys. Um, Yeah, but even you know, Bo Bo was telling me about you know the the motor mounts. They're solid. They're thick. So you know, there's not a lot of flex in it. You know, there's it puts a lot of more tension on the frame. And you know, I don't know. I you know, 90 minutes is a long time. I've seen a lot of kids back east be very successful on hybrids and motocross. But I mean, we're talking, you know, five to you know, 15 minute motos in motocross versus, you know, 90 minutes of a bike taking a brutal beating. You know, but you also look at, and this is where it, it gets competitive and, and gets even is you're also having people in the, in the pro-am class, which is your premier amateur transition class on factory Yamaha's winning the championship yeah. and winning races and doing well against the hybrids and then there's kids on the hybrids that are also winning yeah so you know you have a good mix back there of factory versus hybrid and 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 the hybrid doesn't always win right right you know and you know they have their their pros and cons to hybrids you know they're everybody says they're torque monsters you know they want to rip 
you know, the bars out of your hands and, you know, production bikes are a little bit more tame. And, you know, I don't think that the hybrids have more top speed. I don't think there's, you know, a ton different horsepower. I mean, you know, us riders, we can only hold on to so much horsepower regardless. So it doesn't matter if you put, you know, somebody walks up to me and says they got 70 horsepower on a quad. I, I would probably look at them and laugh that, you know, they're going to get their, their kid or whoever they are hurt, you know? So I think the, the only biggest benefit to them, I think is the torque and, uh, you know, how long the motors can last with the amount of power that they have, you know, you build a TRX motor for nationals. I mean, you saw how many TRX motors, you know, all these pros are going throughout back East. I mean, one of my best friend, Wesley Wolf, you know, actually before he started riding for Johnny, um, you know, those motors just, they're not bulletproof. You know, there's, there's, they're old, you know, the technology's just not there. And, and, uh, you know, there's just a lot of issues with them. And I think the hybrids just have that little bit of a stronger motor. They last a little bit longer, you know, a little bit more reliable with the power in them. I think the, I think the engine is more definitely more reliable and it's evolved, you know, they have made, yeah. they, they came out with that motor that's in the production Hondas in 06. Yeah. And it really hasn't changed much. Right. There's a few changes, but not a whole lot. Yeah. And yeah, I, I get it. I totally get why I'm just worried about the cost of, of it. Yeah. I mean, you it's, know? it's hard to get crate motors for, for dirt bikes and uh, you got to know somebody to get a crate motor and uh, you got to buy a dirt bike to do it. You know, you got to go spend nine grand just to pull the motor and electronics out of it and, and put it in a four wheeler. So it's an expensive startup. Um, I know, you know, a good couple of friends back East that rode hybrids on, you know, two fifties transitions into four fifties, you know, they bought, you know, two, two dirt bikes back, you know, in 2019. And I know a good friend of mine, he would pull the motor out. He'd put it back in the dirt bike. He'd take the dirt bike to the, to the dealership. He'd trade the dirt bike in and buy a brand new one every year. And, you know, it wasn't a crazy expense, you know, the original or the, uh, you know, beginning of, of it was the big expense. And then, you know, it, I feel like, after you have the motors and you have the electronics, I don't think it's much more expensive, you know, than a production bike maintain maintenance wise. It's just the startup is, is expensive. That's yeah. But that's, you go from, uh, you know, a pro level build, you know, 25, $28,000, you know, yeah. to, 40. to four, yeah, 40, maybe more, maybe, yeah. maybe a little less, but yeah. Um, you might save a little bit on, you know, one engine rebuild, maybe two, yeah. if you're lucky during the year, but yeah, you're but still these pros. And like, that's why like the argument, you know, back East was, um, you know, the advantage of them and, you know, the people that couldn't afford them. And, you know, it was always an argument in the pro meetings at the banquets and, you know, I sat in a couple of them and, you know, everybody kind of goes back and forth about it. And, you know, the biggest meeting was back when, you know, Joel was on Hondas and he, he built that hybrid for the, for the overseas race and he loved it. And, you know, they were trying to push it for the pro class. There were some pros that couldn't afford it. Chad was on factory, you know, Yamaha, he, he couldn't do it even if he wanted to. And, you know, there was just some, a lot of back and forth. I feel like for the pro class, it's, it's a tough decision because, you know, they're going to rebuild those motors every freaking race anyway. You know, why, what, what's the benefit here that we're getting out of them that a, a motor can last you 30 hours. We're not, none of those pro guys are putting 30 hours on a motor and in and, and the race bike, at least. And if you wanted to put one in your practice bike and practice on one, you're allowed to do that, you know? So 
Yeah, and in in our in the West Coast side of it, Bo's conversation with me was it's more reliable. I'm not going to be running super expensive fuel and I'm going to rebuild the engine less. Yeah. And he's, he's 100% right. He's definitely correct on that end. I feel like it's all testing at the moment because, you know, this is his first hybrid. You know, he doesn't really know what to expect. I talked to him at Prim and, you know, he was a little skeptical, skeptical about how he felt on it. But I mean, he obviously, he obviously rode well on it. He went out and, and won. So, you know, I think it'll be a learning curve for him. I think it makes it a little bit more interesting. You know, he's been used to the same bike, same motor program, same everything for how many years now. So I think it keeps it a little interesting for him having something new and, and something to learn and, and test on. So it's cool to see him with the, the drive to try to make something work out of it. And the rookie got the whole shot. Ripped the whole shot. That was a cool, that was a cool whole shot. Just drove away from him. Yeah. Uh, he was three, four, he was three, four bike lengths before anybody into the corner. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. He, he was gone. That flag went and his bike was started up faster than anyone's and he was gone. So did Bo's, did the hybrid start fast or did they start slow? No, Roberto and, and Bo came out pretty, pretty far back. You know, there, I mean, I don't know how much Bo was practicing the dead starts with the, with the, with the electric start. Um, you know, he's still used to a kicker. So I could imagine that that's a big learning curve for him. It's, it's a lot different than, than the kicker. Cause you know, Bo's been doing, you know, dead starts with a kickstart for a long time. And, you know, he's just got the feeling for it. He, he knows how to kick it one time, turn it over and go. He's confident in, you know, one kick with the electric start, at least for me, it's a little hard to, to know that the bike started because everybody else is starting around you and you can't hear the bike start. So you have to feel it start. So I don't know, you know, it's, 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 it's tough. The dead starts are tough regardless of what you're on, but I think that it's, it's new for both of them because they both were, were kickstarts last year. So I don't know if it was the hybrid itself. I know that they got pretty powerful batteries in there and, and they start up pretty quick. I think it's just a learning curve for both of them. Probably. I would, I would have to agree. I would have to agree to that. Um, you saw Travis Damon come out on a Yamaha and, yep. you know, I mean, he finished in second, he was finishing second on his Honda. Yep. So there's not much change there other than um, how did he, how did he look on it? He looked good. He looked good. I talked to him. He said the same thing. Everybody says when they ride a Yamaha that you feel slower, but you're not going slower, you know? So I think he looked great. He looked great in practice. Um, you know, he led a good handful of laps in the, in the race. And, you know, I think Bo is just, I mean, we're talking about Bo Barron here, you know, he's, he's a 10 time champ for a reason. You know what I mean? So I think he looked good. I think, uh, I, I never really got to watch these guys race, you know, ever since I've been out here, I've been racing against them. So it's hard to, to compare what he looked like on a Honda. Cause I never really witnessed him ride a Honda. And I was always riding with him or, you know, in the race with him or, you know, on the track at the same time with him. So I think he looked good and he looked, he looked solid. He looked like he was comfortable, which, which is tough to do because he just got on it, you know, right after the season ended. So yeah, I'm, you know, he's, he seems pretty positive about the switch. Yeah. I mean, it, the the good thing was he rode a fuel injected motorcycle. Yeah. 
and then transitioned to the the, the four wheeler that was fuel injection. So he probably had a good idea how that feel was going to be. It's a little bit different motor design, right? But um, you know, they still they still work similar. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But he looked good and he looked solid. I mean, he made, he made the pass in the first pretty early in the race. And then, you know, Bo ended up, I think he started in like fifth. I want to say he ended up just kind of putting his head down and, and charging as Bo does and uh, worked his way up front. Really? And and it took him a couple laps to get Damon. Yeah. Yeah. I would say Damon led for, you know, my guess would be about three, 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 four laps. He led. Really? That's yeah. Yeah, they had a good yeah. battle going on there for for a little bit. It's cool to watch. That probably was Bo getting trying to get used to the machine too, because he doesn't have many hours or, or much time on it as well. Right. Yeah. No. For sure. And and he looked a little uncomfortable in practice. If I mean, at least with what I was seeing. Um, like I said, I didn't get to really watch these guys ride much, but he didn't look super comfortable in practice. I think he looked super comfortable towards the end of the race. So I think, yeah, it was just getting comfortable used to the bike and, and how it rode. So, you know, might've taken him a little bit to get up and going at his normal speed, but you know, he obviously, you know, transitioned fairly well and, and made it happen. Yeah. I mean, I didn't expect him not to win. Um, I did expect the other hybrid to be farther up the field. I agree. I thought so too. Um, the pro sections were crazy dude. like huge tires, rock garden logs, you know, from, from what I was, I didn't get to watch much of it. Um, but you know, I was talking to, um, some of the guys in the mechanics area, you know, Kenny and, and, um, Braxton's dad. And a, a lot of these guys were getting stuck in the pro section. So, you know, getting through that pro section is always key to get through it smooth at every race. I feel like it's, it's a make or break section sometimes depending on how crazy it was. And Prim is always one of those gnarly ones that, you know, the obstacles are big, they're tough and they're make or break obstacles. You know, you could get stuck on one for, you know, multiple minutes and, you know, that's hard to come back from. So I want to say Braxton had got stuck somewhere. That's how he lost the lead. Um, I believe that's how he lost the lead. And then, you know, a lot of the people were getting stuck in them. So it was it was an interesting race. I feel like you know Travis and Bo are are the best in our class at those obstacles. So they obviously shined out there this past weekend. But you know how about Braxton Gross with a with a podium finish in his rookie race? That was phenomenal. That was pretty cool to see. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I texted him that night, and um, I, I said, "Welcome to the Bigs," and he said something about you know. Uh, racing with the big guys or uh, something like that. And I go, you are one. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, one. yeah, you one. are one, dude. You're just standing on the podium next to him. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah. you are one. I, and at that point I hadn't seen that he had gotten the whole shot um, because getting any information, unless you talk to somebody is almost impossible. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't post very fast for some reason on the West coast. You, you, you can find the information out about an XC race you know, 30 seconds after the first guy crosses the, the, the finish line yeah. um, or a motocross race, you can get it almost immediately as well. But for some reason, the works information just does not get out. Yeah. It takes a little bit for that stuff to get out, out here. But yeah, no, yeah, he looked great. the kid was on fire. He looked great. He rode great. You know, he was very, 
confident and comfortable. He, he didn't really, his nerves didn't show. I feel like, um, I talked to him before the race. He said he was a little nervous going out there, which as everybody should be, you know, it's a big step, but you know, he performed as if there was no nerves, you know, he went out there and did his thing and, and it paid off. He looks like he's a head taller too. He does. He's a little bit bigger now. He's growing yeah. up. He's a kid still. That's crazy to see. So he's still a baby. I mean, yeah, he's got uh, a lot of years left in him. Yeah. I think he's, a, I think he's a sophomore or a junior in high school. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That's just incredible that he's that young and, 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 you know, he could build a, a, a super long dynasty career, Very. you know, out of yeah. it. You, you figure those 42 and Braxton's freaking 16. 16. Yeah. Yeah. Think about the years that he could put in there. I yeah. Mean, that's yeah. I mean, I almost have 10 years on the kid, which is for me being as, you know, only 25, it's, it's crazy to say that I'm racing against somebody that's 10 years younger than me. And, uh, he's, he's, he's a ripper. He rides great. His, his maturity is what I like his maturity on the machine is incredible. Granted, you could talk to him off the track and realize that he has age. Yeah. And that's nothing like no slight against him because right, I mean, that's what that's teenager. Is. Yeah, he's a teenager. So yeah, no, he's he's humble, you know, he's a humble kid. He he knows what he can do. Um and you know, he just does his thing. He works hard. I gotta give him all the credit in the world for going out there and, and putting the nerves aside and, and performing for for everybody. His dad puts a lot into that program and so does yeah. his mom. His dad was so happy, you know. I, I remember going over there after the whole shot and his dad, big old smile on his face. And then um, I didn't get to talk to his dad after the race, but um, I could see him running over to the podium after he got off the track, running over to the finish line after he got off the track. So it's cool to see. Oh yeah. It's well, your biggest fans are your parents, man. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you get to spend time with your dad and every time we were on the phone and he does, he does brag about you. Yeah. Yeah, we'd yeah. be at dinner and he'll be showing people videos, the waitress and stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, he's your number one fan, and that's yeah. that's what dads do, you know. I mean, yeah. I love talking about my son, you know. Yeah. I mean, there, there are sons, yeah, you know. It, it, it's it's a lot of fun, and um, you know, some people go, "Well, you're living through your kids." No, I'm not living through my kids because I'm letting them do what they want to do, right? And I'm just happy they're doing it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get in and dictate to them how to do it or, you know, too much. Um, you know, when Danny Ray was racing, I probably should have uh, pushed a little bit in certain places. Um, and I didn't because I wanted it to be fun and about him. Um, he was under a huge deficit because I was still Doug Eichner's mechanic. Right. And it was, and he called uncle Doug, uncle Doug. And then when the Doug and I parted ways, it was even harder for Danny. Um, you know, his last name was Duncan and he had these huge shoes to fill and everybody expected him to be something that, that he, he really wasn't. Yeah. He was, he was a kid out there wanting to have fun and, you know, he, uh, he raced for a while and then decided that, uh, taking his future into the military was the best thing, but yeah, you know, some bad things happened, but it worked out for him in the end. You know, he's a college professor now and works in a hospital. 
has yeah. three beautiful children and uh, it's amazing you know sometimes stuff just doesn't work out and then ends up you know benefiting you in the long run well the, like i i told somebody the other night you know you want you want to know the funniest thing in the world you can do mm. tell tell god your plan yeah there's none yeah wait a minute that's not the plan i had for you yeah sorry you're gonna go this way yeah. you know or you're gonna go that way or yeah you know i like that plan you're gonna you can do it you know there's a few people that that, that get to pull it off um yeah. so it, it's uh it's gonna be what it's gonna be watching that pro class and getting a, a, a bird's eye view of what you've seen with all the racing that you've gotten to see throughout the years do you think we could see a change on the top of the box at some point during the year? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I think so. I think Travis, I think he, he, he has the speed and he has the skill to, to take Bo's spot away. You know, obviously he showed last year that he got, a, he got a first last year and uh, that may have been a little bit because of what I did at that race, but <laughs> um yeah, no, I, I think Bo's got the speed. I think, uh, you know, a lot of these guys, they have the speed, but, you know, Bo, his biggest strength, and I think that, you know, obviously he's fast. You know, we all know he he's fast, but he's just consistent, man. He just, he doesn't make mistakes, and it is very difficult to go out there for 90 minutes and ride at such a fast pace and not make any mistakes. So I think, um, you know, there's a couple of guys in the class that I, I think have potential to, to take that spot away from him, but it's just all about making, you know, a very fast, smooth, clean race without any mistakes. And I think Bo just goes out there and, and doesn't make mistakes. And that's why he is, you know, the 10 time champ. He just has such a smooth rhythm when he's on the quad that, you know, a bobble here, a bobble there. It, it's not a mistake in, in him. And, you know, I go out there and I blow a berm or, you know, you get stuck in the rocks or, you know, you hit a pothole wrong, kicks you sideways, you know, kind of takes the wind out of you. He's just so mature and, and knows exactly what to expect all the time. And, you know, that's why he is the way he is. He's super smooth. He's just you know? good. He's just, there's no other way to describe it than he's just good. He's good well if you look at it from from my perspective i got to watch the guy for years and years right bo is super fast but bo doesn't look but bo doesn't look yeah, he doesn't fast. he doesn't look fast like he's he's like a chad i don't i mean i'd say this about chad he doesn't look like when you watch joel ride or you watch you know brandon hogue or you know wesley wolf or jeffrey australia they look like they're going fast you know they look like you know wow they're flying but you know you watch chad and he's just like man he doesn't look like he's going that fast and he comes around for qualifying he's got the fastest lap in qualifying and, you know the bow's the same way he doesn't look like he's riding fast but he is he is fast very very you, fast you never got to see sloan ride at that um, yeah level I've, I've i mean racing with sloan he, he was like that he you, you could see that he was going fast you could you know you could see him i remember we were in um Utah racing and iron mine and Bo's 
core section through this, his line through this one section almost created no dust. And Mike would go through this section and you'd see these big swirl roost coming off of his machine, you know, photo op. I mean, the, the photo ops were just awesome right. and dust cloud and, and dirt going everywhere. And, you know, you, you just know that he's going faster. And, and unfortunately, Bo was just eking his way away, you know, second by second, turn by turn. And, and you know, you can't take anything away from Mike. He was hauling ass. But yeah. His line choice and and that, you know, big roost through the turns. Bo had a straight line through the turn, and right. and, and people are like, "How do you have a straight line through the turn? Shortest distance." Yeah, you know, and he yeah. can drive and, through the turns. And then, like, even like, like just, it, it's. I feel like this endurance stuff, you know, the long desert racing, and it, it all just comes down to who can be the most consistent. Cause I mean, the laps are long. I mean, think about, you know, when I think about an MX lap and you know, when you're a second off a lap, I feel like that's on a motocross track. That's a lot, you know, cause you know, you only have so much track to work with and when we race in these laps that are, you know, 10, 11 minutes long and there's 65 corners on it, you know, you could lose a half a second in each corner and that's, that's 20, some plus seconds a lap, you know? So like, mm -hmm. it, it's so, it's so difficult to stay at a consistent speed hitting each and every corner and section the exact same way. And Bo is just, he's perfect. Well, he's relaxed and he's calm and, and he, he never overextends even though he's going that fast. Right. And I think, I think that youth, um, in your case or in some of the other guys' cases, you're seeing that and you're striving to go faster. So you're pushing the envelopes instead of rolling into a relaxed pace, uh, relaxed high pace and just get your rhythm. And that's what Bo does. He just gets his rhythm. Even if he's not in the lead, he knows. Yeah. That I'm going to get the, I'm going to get in my place. I'm going to ride my race and I will make the pass and I will yeah. get out front. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think that I think, it, you know, it's like Doug Eichner's days, you know, uh, I remember seeing Doug as he transitioned through the years from Mickey's to to the Nationals, you know, uh, motocross TT stuff. And <clears throat> he was confident and he was fast and he tried real hard. But as he got older, that man's strength, the toughness that he had, and we get to these long races, he knew going to the starting line, he was the baddest man there and nobody was going to beat him. He never got out of control. He didn't lose his patience. I mean, a couple of times he did at the end of his at the end of his deal, because there was extenuating circumstances that not everybody knows, mm -hmm. you know, personally, but you know, we don't want to, that, that's not, that's not for us to talk about. Right. But uh, it was an unfortunate situation for him. Yeah. Um, but during his heyday, and he was in his 40s, he won his first works title at 39 years old. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think it, Doug almost retired when he was almost 50. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And he's still running in the top, you know, uh, top five in works, you know. Yeah. If, it wouldn't have been, if he wouldn't have been riding that damn Polaris. 
Yeah. Uh, he, he, he might've been in the top two, top three, who knows? Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, it's, it's nice to go down memory lane. I would, I would love to be able to, to get a time machine and to get our, our like 20 favorites and put them on the line for a couple works races, put them on a line for a couple of motocross races, put them on the line for a couple TT races. And, you know, yeah, and, that would and take, be them, epic. take them to the woods and take them to the desert. And, and, uh, oh man, just, just, just to see how these, cha- all these champions would do head to head with one another. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be cool. Obviously oh, would, most likely impossible, but that would be, be crazy. All the best oh. of the best going at it. it would be be cool to see. Oh yeah, it's at their peak, you know, when they were the best they were. Yeah. Oh gosh, it would be awesome. Could you know, could you imagine seeing Jeremiah Jones, Doug Gus, you know, Justin uh, Wimmer, Natalie, Natalie, you know, Joe Bird, Josh Kramer, yeah. all these guys yeah. at their peak. Yeah, no, it would be be legendary race. Oh, dude, you got, you got Joel and, 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 and Doug and, and Josh Fredericks. And I mean, you got some of these guys on the West coast that are just animals in this long distance endurance stuff that, you know, I am, I'm, I'm afraid that the motocross guys, you know, they're, they're fast and Joel proved that coming out. And so did Walker Fowler. Yeah, but Walker was breathtaking to ride with, to be honest with you, man, that guy can ride. You have to think about it this way. Also, he's super smart. Mark Notman came out the year before. Instantly relayed the information to Walker. You know, if we're going to do this, we have to do this, 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 and this. And they tested, they had a suspension. They had a, they had a pretty good combination. And like Walker said, he needed some more time to do some more testing to make it even better, but he had a good package, you know, Yeah. Uh, uh, which, I mean, you got a talent like that and you give him some, some seat time and some schooling. Oh boy. Look out. Yeah. No, I agree. He was, he looked great. He was, like I said, I never got to ride with Walker back East and he's a woods guy. So riding with him was pretty cool. Yeah. And John Galata Jr. Kid did, did really well as well. Uh, yeah. Also. Oh yeah. Galata was ripping. Yeah. I was, I was, I was super impressed with what we were getting to watch. How about Linquist, dude? You see his hands after the race? Yeah, he's a beast, dude. He has been a beast since I can remember. I remember watching him on 90 mods. The kid was just he's just different. He's he's just a beast. He rides phenomenally. He's smart. He knew what he was getting himself into and he's just he's got a never quit attitude and uh he wrote great at Prim. Great. You know, you think about it and you, you think about these these animals, you know, that just never stop, you know, like a honey badger or, mm-hmm. you know, a pit bull, you know, which one is he? All the above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're down to that war, who do you want to, who do you want to be against? You know, when you're warrant, Max is not the guy. Cause he's not going to stop. Not going to stop. And he's another one that just, you know, when you watch him ride, he just, it's effortless. He looks like he's just, out there on a Sunday cruise and he's just going faster than most people are. How blessed are we that, that the up and coming class of riders is young. Yeah. I mean, you're still 25. You're still young. You're still in the mix. Yeah. You know, and, 
think of some of the talent that we get to watch. I mean, I get to watch, you get to race with, yeah. you know, it's, it's incredible. I'm just freaking so stoked that the ATV industry, you know, people, Oh, it's dying. It's this. No, it's not. It's thriving in so many different ways. Yeah, I agree. The young kids taking a step and, and getting into these pro classes. I mean, we all saw what specifically Max Linquist and, you know, Bryce Ford and a Brandon Hogue did in the pro class, Wesley Wolf, all these guys did in a pro class at such a young age. I mean, you know, Joel was young going into the pro class. You know, all these guys were, you know, like they're young. They're, they're younger than me, younger than, you know, look at Braxton Gross. I mean, 16 year old in a pro class got his first podium in his first pro class race. I mean, that's just like, that doesn't happen to just any 16 year old, you know, right. so it's, it's cool to watch these, these younger kids, you know, move their way up and, and compete with us. And, and, you know, it's, it's crazy to see. Day one. Still yeah. got he's basically still got diapers on and he's out there running with the pros. Yeah, I mean, when I was racing A class, Braxton was probably on a 250 Raptor, <laughs> and now we're racing pro together and he's podiuming. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's it's crazy to see these kids these kids go go from being children to to racing pro class. You know, so it, it is, isn't it? You may yeah. I know you're you're still a baby, but think yeah. about it from my aspect. You know, I remember going to the races. And Alex Ortiz was just a little kid. Yeah. He's a pro. Yeah. He's a grown man with a girlfriend and a life. And, and, you know, and I'm just shaking my head looking. Cause I just remember this little kid. I, I still think the little kid. Yeah. And I have to like shake my head a little bit. Wow. He's a, he's a freaking pro. He's yeah. a grown man. I mean, you know, shit. When I started riding for the Fords um, back in the day, Bryce was, God, I want to say, 14, third, eh, maybe not 13, 14. I mean, he was just getting on a 250, a, a 250. And, you know, he was a fast back in the day on the 250, but, you know, seeing him go from, you know, being so young, I used I mean, we would go to his basketball games in high school and, and all these things. And he's just, he's, he's competing at, at a crazy high level. So, yeah, no, it's cool to see these, these kids when they were kids and, and now, them older i mean i am still young but i feel like i got to still be able to witness you know young kids you know work their way through all the classes and, and watch them grow and it's cool it's cool to see let me tell you brother you ain't seen nothing yet <laughs> until i see it when i'm now and you know when i'm 30 racing still and you know there's another 16 year old coming in the class and think about that he's 10 right now you know what i mean who is it so yeah well i remember going to the nationals back east and angela moore was this little girl playing in the freaking creek and it turns out that she was one of the most dominating women motocross champions in the history of the sport yeah and you know i i knew her before she became a mom i haven't talked to her in years and years but that woman is incredibly fast and you know it's hard not to remember that you know i remember seeing her when she was just a little kid like my children off playing in that creek you know and you're yeah. just scratching your head like wow yeah and and you're, you're i'm getting old but you know i'm not going to slow down <laughs> before we, before we close this out i want to i want to get some predictions from you I know, you know, a lot of, uh, know of, and know some of the cross country guys. 
Right. There's been a change in champion in 2022. Walker Fowler seems to be fired up. Yeah. Bryson Neal is just not going to move over. Nope. You have five or six fire-breathing dragons behind them. Mm-hmm. How do you think that's all going to shake up? Oh, man. I mean, I, it puts up for good racing, you know, good good watching, good spectating. So, um, I, I don't know, man. Walker Fowler is, is you know, yeah, he might have been dethroned last season, but, you know, he's a multi-year champion for a reason. And, you know, he knows exactly what he needs to do to compete. You know, Bryson is 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 very good at, at this time in his career. And, you know, I think he's only getting better. But then again, I think Walker's still getting better. I mean, same thing about, you know, the Chad and Joel rivalry. I can't, you can't just give it to Joel, you know, you can't just, you know, this we'll season. We'll right, go there. So, so, you know, with the Walker thing, I, you can't just, can't just give it to Bryson. You know, I think he's going to be there. I think it's going to be a battle all year long, but I think Walker knows what he needs to do. And I think he's going to work on it. So I, I, I don't know. I can't really, I couldn't pick one, but you know, it's, it's going to, I, in my opinion, it's going to be one of those two winning a championship this year. I haven't got to talk to Bryce and Neil. I would, I would love to be able to pick his brain and, and mm-hmm. see, you know, the expressions on his face as you ask questions and, and get a feel for him as an individual. Um, I've been able to spend a little bit of time with Walker and, uh, get to know him a little bit and he is a fierce fierce competitor for being such a mild non-arrogant seven-time champion um you know super nice guy uh Mm soft-spoken and um i just think of that old antage you know speak softly and carry a big stick I, i that's how i picture walker he's just inside he has just a raging monster in in there wanting to get out and uh you know and, and i think bryson neal is just a strong strong kid because he came off the couch and won yeah from injury to winning you know that that's what i really want to get to talk about because that's that just doesn't happen at that level no it's tough to do it is tough to do and and he I think he proved a lot of people wrong getting off the couch and going out and winning a championship. And, you know, obviously for him, motivation's high, you know, his work ethic is probably out of this world at the moment. He's off of a win. How could you not be stoked out of your mind to train and and get better and and go out and compete again? So, I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good year for them boys out East and, and looking forward to watching it. You look at your sophomore deal that the, to win that second championship in a row is harder than winning the first, because usually you're having to deal with all of the changes because you're number one, mm-hmm. the media, the, the accolades, the, you know, the people patting you on the back, you know, maybe you don't, maybe you missed a train, maybe you missed the tra- training a couple times, you know, maybe you didn't go test maybe, you know, because you were getting your, your back padded. You know, I don't yeah. know this about, uh, Bryson, I'm just saying that right. this has been the downfall to riders in the past. So yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And uh, you know, I hope it, he's handling it well. And you know, to have a competitor like Walker Fowler, as fierce of a competitor he is, you know, he knew exactly what he needed to do 
to get better. So I'm sure he's working on that every single day to, to go out and win a championship this year. So. So let's get to your favorite pro motocross, Joel Hetrick, Chad Weenan. We already know the fierce battles that these guys have had in 11 years. We've had two champions and not really a, a lot of mix on the podium. Those two guys have been on there almost every time in the last 11 years. Um, first or second, you know, maybe a third thrown in there, but they're still there. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about the six or seven riders, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, that are the guys that will take three, maybe four of them, five of them. Any one of them could be third, but yeah. all, I, I'm thinking that the gap is closing and any one of them could be first. Yeah, I mean, oh man, I don't know. Joel and Chad are, are they're they're just on another level. And I mean, you know, Bryce and and Brandon and Max and Jeffrey and Janusa and you know Decker and Wolf and you know, there's so many riders that have the speed. But man, when those guys get into a race mode. They, they take off. I mean, they're, they're going from qualifying speeds to getting faster throughout the race. And it, it's going to be, that's going to be a tough, I mean, it's, it's like dethroning, you know, Bo Barron, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be a, a hard, long journey to get one of those two taken off that top stop. And, uh, you know, if I had to make a prediction, my guess would be that, it's going to be Joel or Chad on that top step at the end of the year this year. And, you know, I really hope that, you know, some of these riders, you know, I, I know a lot of these riders are, are working their butt off, you know, down at Decker training facility. I see, you know, Brandon Hogue's down there a lot, you know, Max is in Florida. Um, Jeffrey, you know, he's, he's never stops. Janus is in Jersey in the freezing cold riding every day, you know? So <clears throat> I hope one of these guys can, can, you know, mix it up up front this year. You know, I'm rooting for a lot of them back there to get up in the mix. You know, we've been seeing Chad and Joel win for, I mean, I've been watching them win since 2012. So, um, it's, it'd be cool to watch some, some new faces on the top of the box. So I'm, I'm rooting for everybody that's working their butt off back there to, to mix it up with them. You are politically correct and don't give me an answer, but uh, I get, I get why. Um, <laughs> it's hard. I'm I, friends with a lot of them. You know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to pick someone and then, you know, I don't, I don't want to get involved in that. So, you know, everybody's, you know, I'm, I'm telling you straight up right now, there is going to be a new guy standing on the top of the box in that motocross series this year. I felt it was going to be last year and Brandon Hogue almost did it in round one. I just have seen some things and talked to these guys for the last couple of years and the development that you see in them, uh, you know, Nick Janus's videos, his attitude, um, the things he went through last year, mm-hmm. uh, whole, whole new guy, in my opinion, just 100%. watching, just watching what I've watched. I haven't even got to talk to him, you know? Yeah. Jeffrey is 
going to be more solid this year because he transitioned to his own thing last year. So that may have knocked him off his access a little bit. Yeah. He's a, he's a seasoned pro. Yeah. And he's fast. I mean, he's always right there with the speed and qualifying, you know, and I, I think his, his, his struggle has been, you know, putting two motos together, consistent laps, you know, and I think when Jeffrey is, is on that consistent two motos, consistent laps, he's, he's, you know, he's a vet. He's going to be up there. He's going to be running up front. So, yeah, I, I think that, I think that the, I do believe that this is the year that one of them will be dethroned off of, off of a, a podium spot or a number one spot. I do believe that, you know, Brandon Hogue can win a race. I believe that Ford can win a race. I believe that Linquist can win a race. Jeffrey Janusa, you know, all these guys can win, you know, it's just going to be all about, you know, the consistency and, and that that's going to be the hardest thing to beat for those top two guys is, is how consistent and, and strong they are when they're racing. And, uh, if, you know, one of those guys hopefully can, you know, put two motos strong together and, and come out on top. I think it would, I think it would be cool to see. I think for the sport, it would be great. Yeah, absolutely. I think the last person that had won an overall besides Joel or Chad was, was Thomas Brown. If I'm mistaken. Probably that's probably correct. I think it was Thomas Brown, you know, and, uh, so that was, you know, he's been retired a couple of years now. So it's been a while was, since we've seen a new face on the top of the box. That's ancient history. Yeah. So, um, that's, it's going to be great. It's going to be an awesome year to watch from, from works to, uh, some of the stuff in the desert that I'm getting to privy to see, um, to the motocross and the cross country. And there's other things going on. Um, the WMX is, is going to be pretty, uh, pretty awesome this year. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the works lady pros that, uh, you know, they've a few new ladies in that class. So mm -hmm. I think that's going to, that's going to be good. Um, Matthias, it's just super fast comparative. Um, but anything's possible. Anything can happen. Um, and then you have the, the lady pros in, uh, in, uh, XC, Hannah Hunter, dude, that, that chick can ride. Yeah. I'm glad I never got to race against her because she <laughs> smoked my ass. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's, there's so many good riders now, you know, let, let's jump into the, you got the XC four by four guys too. Those guys. Yeah. Rip. Man. Yeah. Rip. Dude. On those four by fours, those four, that's crazy that they ride so fast on those things exactly you know i mean I'm, I'm i'm super impressed with all of it so yeah i'm a huge fan i love the i love the industry i love the sport i love all forms of it you know we didn't even get into the tt guys um sorry about that we'll uh we'll make up for it on the live and on instagram how's that the team here at atv talk would love your feedback please email us at hello at atvtalkpodcast.com If you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program, a custom ATV, or an industry guest speaker, I have the company for you. Duncan Technologies International Inc. offers host, MC, and guest speaking services at events, builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world, and they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to Duncan Tech International at gmail.com or call 
1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms, and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter. 